Hi guys, welcome to the Fintech Coffee Break. So today I shared my coffee break with Patrick Denonville, CEO of October. October is a major player in the European SME investment scene and on the 19th of January announced the EIF's backing of their new SME V Fund, which has been labelled as an Article 8 fund promoting sustainable activities. We spoke about the fund, the challenges of new ESG regulations for SMEs, and how their new tool, ESG X-Ray, could help bring transparency to sustainable investment. Thank you for having me at your offices. Nice to meet you as well. Thanks for coming up. Um, so you're here on the FinTech Coffee Break. Um, what gets you up and motivated in the morning? Um, well, coffee helps. Sure. <laughs> I, I think everybody picked up hobbies during the pandemic. Oh, yeah? And for yeah. me, I went quite deep into coffee. I went from like one random coffee machine to I think I've got six or seven. <laughs> My wife tells me to stop, but I really like it. No, The, the thing that really gets me up is, uh, is learning. Um, I think we are very fortunate in this sector to have to develop something new, even if it's now been around for a few years. And we keep finding new ways of doing things better. And doing that with a team is uh, what motivates me. Nice, nice. When did you know that you wanted to start something like October? And what was the process that, that led you to that? Yeah, I mean, it was progressive. So I was at uh, Goldman Sachs. I was a partner there. And um, dealing despite the fact that there was a trader with a lot of the regulatory changes that came out of the 2008 crisis was frankly um, not super um, uh, interesting to me. Um, and so I started to look at things to do uh, on the outside and invest in fintech. So I made a few investments. And as part of that, I was talking to uh, some funds here in France about what was happening in the SME crowdfunding space or with lending club or companies like funding circle which for many of them by the way i heard about them from uh, peter renton's uh, podcast so oh, really? it's been a, a source of inspiration for many in the industry including me um and we um they introduced me to uh this man named olivier Gua, uh who was also looking into the id and um i came into the meeting thinking I might invest. And I came out and called my wife and said, I think there's something more here. So we decided to launch the company together um, 2014 and made our first loan in 2015. And then we expanded into Spain in uh, 2016, Italy 2017, Netherlands 2018, Germany 2019, and then COVID. So oh, okay. we kind of stopped there for a moment mm -hmm. at least. Well, you, you went very quickly. So. That was part of the plan. Uh, we thought if we're going to develop technology and expertise in data, it's going to be reasonable to exploit it, not just in France, but in other countries as well. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. You've got a new fund yes. um, that's been backed by the EIF, uh, which has quite a focus on ESG objectives. Tell me about this. Yeah. So... Uh, Maybe I can describe very briefly how we lend. So we're not a balance sheet lender. We have investors who can be retail lenders who come on the platform in a real like crowd lending format, which has gone kind of out of fashion, but which we, we love. I mean, we have 40,000 active lenders and they're, they're a great source of feedback and, and, uh, and money as well. And then we have the institutional investors. And because we are fully licensed asset manager, they come via funds that we raise and manage. And so this is our fifth generation fund. Um, and what we find every time we raise a fund is either because of the economic environment or, or because of regulatory constraints, people's questions and focus change. 
And we have to take that into account. And one of the things, especially at the European level, for the EIF, um, but also for BPI France, who was also one of the investors, um, the whole ESG thing has become absolutely priority number one. And for us, that fitted nicely in a couple of things, which is it's become priority number one for a lot of people in the team as well. I mean, we obviously have a repartition of older people like me and then, you know, younger people. And for them, knowing that we look at ESG as a company um, when we invest is is super important in the recruitment process and staying motivated. And so we had started to do some work there. And what we found is for the companies we lend to, they tend to be quite small. The ESG reporting that's available is of very poor quality. So it tends to be very declarative. They have to fill in endless forms. Or if you look into databases, they tend to be based on much larger, very often US-based companies. And so for us, in the countries we lend to, um, we needed to have a way to extract data automatically because we don't want to burden the SMEs to make that data correlate with what we're uh, extracting from external databases and to produce this, what we call this ESG X-ray. So it's a full report that is compliant with the new regulations in Europe, um, SFDR, the taxonomy, and that will allow us to give our investors all the information they need um, and want to, to follow what's happening. And for us also, little by little, to start to give that transparency back to the SMEs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because for them, it's becoming important. And I think it makes sense. You see what's happening with energy prices at the moment. Um, things which should be part of a risk assessment of is that company viable over like the four or five year term that we lend money to them have to include those criteria as well. And it's true for government. It's true for the social approach. You know, looking at do they pay their salaries on time, for example, or do they push some of their workforce towards less savory type of lending? You know, it's really important. And so we do all this automatically by the analysis we do of the bank statements, by access to external databases. And so it's very light touch for the SMEs. We're really proud of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds really, really um revolutionary especially because i think the taxonomy is coming into effect for smes in 2026 um and so do you think smes are equipped for this at this point and is funding going to drive their ability to do this so the way it's going to flow is that regulation is going to impact the people who provide the fundings the Mm -hmm. banks mostly but also the insurance companies and Mm -hmm. you know all these Institutions who are um, providing cash in the economy, that's their job. Um, they're going to feel those constraints. And at the moment, again, there's no way for them to do that properly for very small companies. And so that means, and we've seen this on other regulations, that the larger companies are going to keep their access to the funding markets because they have the resources internally to answer those questions. The small ones, it's going to be really difficult. So because our mission is to finance businesses better, if we don't provide the tools for the SMEs to continue to access finance in that new environment, then we're failing to provide an answer. Mm -hmm. Your fund is labeled Article 8 SFDR, uh, which I've read means that it promotes sustainable activities. It doesn't necessarily have to be compliant with the taxonomy, but it needs to promote these kind of activities. Yeah. What do you look for? What will you look for? So, you know, for people unfamiliar with this, depending on the on the ranking eight or nine, nine will be an impact fund. So where every single investment has to have an impact according to certain criteria. Uh, and eight means, first of all, a certain level of transparency on the uh, 
um, environmental impact of the um, SMEs which get finance and the tracking of some metrics there. It doesn't mean that we're not going to make a loan if there's no you know, given positive impact for that loan, but it does mean that we're going to be able to track those metrics through time. And the metrics that we focus on, obviously, are, you know, it's all three, the E, the S, the G, environment, social, and governance. And the social, I think, a big thing we've been doing is is tracking the number of jobs that mm-hmm. are created thanks to the loans. And it's one of the great pleasures we take to know that we're supporting this super important metric uh, across Europe because, you know, most employment is actually coming from SMEs. Um, but also on, on the environmental aspects, um, you know, by going very granular into the analysis of the bank transactions, we can see the amount of energy, um, the type of provider they use. Are they using a re- renewable provider? Um, that's that's also something that uh, is important for the investors to have transparency on. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that the EU um, have made ESGs as a big part of their kind of push yeah. forward. Um, what do you see your role as being? in kind of achieving these um, goals yeah. that they have? I think the potential difficulty, if you say our priority is the environment, I don't think anybody believes that turning Europe into some kind of nature reserve uh, is going to be a good plan, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that needs to happen in the context of growth. That needs to happen in the context of supporting the people in the EU, and that means jobs. And so... Our role is to make sure that that transition happens in a way that still facilitates our growth and still facilitates that job creation. I mean, that sounds very modest, but this is where we view what we're trying to do, um, especially when those constraints that European companies face are not shared by companies in Asia or the US. Okay. Go into that a bit more. How are they not um, the same constraints? Well, I think the EU is well ahead of the US and, and China in terms of um, transposing the, the kind of agreement that everybody has that we need to make a huge amount of effort, especially on emissions, into constraints for uh, regulated entities like banks uh, and insurance companies and, and hence to the people, to their customers. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a good thing because we hope that that's going to lead by example and other countries are going to do the same. But at the same time, if you're the first to have that constraint, you do get into an uncompetitive position versus companies in other countries. Um, and, you know, I, I think the European leaders are very conscious of that. But at the same time, the political imperative they have from their electorate seems very clear to them as well. So it's um, it's not a balance that's easy to get right, I think. Yeah, um, I bet. Um, especially in the current economic conditions, right? Do, have you noticed a change in how SMEs are kind of regarding ESG objectives? Or to be frank, not yet. No. Okay. Um, I think the, the the main imperative for them in this environment is to survive. They've gone from uh, facing massive demonstrations. We forget sometimes that in France, before there was COVID, there was a huge social movement with the yellow jackets that actually damaged. Um, the SME network uh, quite heavily, and then you had COVID, and then you have the cost of energy and the and the supply chain crisis that we've had. I mean, for them, frankly, it feels like they're going from uh, crisis to crisis all the time, and so that's why it's important for us to make that transition and, and that visibility for them of what is their impact compared to their peers as 
easy as possible. It cannot be another just constraints. And, and frankly, I mean, again, when we looked at it and what was available in the market, 90% of the solutions consist of sending them an Excel sheet with five pages to fill. If you're, you know, a multinational or, or like, you know, a 200 million turnover company, you can do that. If you're a mom and pop shop or, you know, a small factory with maybe 200 employees, it's just, I mean, it's just too much. Yeah. So do you think um, your ESG X-ray is going to be quite fundamental in changing? Well, that's, this? Our, that's our goal. Uh, and, and we, um, you know, have, we have super interesting discussions with, uh, with regulators and with, um, you know, basically markets um, organizations to make sure that uh, it contributes to making the tools available so that this transformation can happen in a smooth way, not just with our SME customers, but with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so with ESGs, there is this kind of big thing that there's a lot of greenwashing happening. Yeah. How are you going to bypass that, especially when it comes to making your investments? You're right. It's a huge problem. Man. And we saw two months ago, you had a whole bevy of supposedly Article 9 funds. So Article 9 funds are funds which said, you know, every loan or every investment we make is going to have a positive impact on such and such metrics. And they lost that classification because well, it was greenwashing. I mean, they couldn't follow it up and, and it was just pretend. And, and I think that's hugely damaging, by the way, to the whole ESG effort. Um, the, the way around this is data. Um, you know, the new vehicle that the IF is investing is going to lend to 3,000 companies. Uh, so it's very granular. Um, and to provide the amount of transparency we're going to be able to provide with ESG X-ray on each of these company is, you know, the best way to make sure that the impact is measured uh, accurately and objectively. And also you can think that the method by which most SME reporting is done, which is, you know, again, send them a questionnaire and send it back. We know from experience, if you ask a question to SME, they will give you the convenient answer because they don't have the time or they don't have the information necessarily. Sometimes it's a bit less benevolent than that, right? They know it has an impact on their financing. So um, if you get the information automatically without that kind of subjective element, you have a much better quality answer. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, what do you think is the biggest challenge in setting up this fund? Oh, the other element, definitely. I mean, we haven't talked about this um, yet, but the um, moving interest rates over the last months um, is a big shock to the system. Um, we have many people in the team who've never seen a rate rise. Um, and I don't think there's been one in Europe since uh, 2010. And, you know, we've all gotten used to a very low, stable environment. And, and so that has had a dramatic effect immediately on the investors' expectations. And so we've, we followed suit, you know, we've increased rates, um, as, um, the, the market was moving. So, you know, we're offering much higher returns to investors now than we were 12 months ago. Um, but of course that has an effect on demand. Um, you know, higher interest rates means more expensive money means less demand for money. And the SMEs have to consider really if borrowing at such higher rates means that projects make sense. Um, and so, and that's completely natural. I mean, it's, it's not like a side effect, but it's the main aim of having rates higher. So it means we have to be more selective, uh, of, uh, of the companies who come and, and we have to manage this, but it's part of the cycle. Um, it's not easy, but it's part of the cycle. Um, how do you hope the sector will progress, uh, both 
SME sector in general and funding SMEs, but also in this aspect of ESGs? I, I mean, in the in the sector, and if you speak about the fintech um, SME funding sector, um, it's it's not a first crisis because COVID was a crisis. And I think when we launched 2014, 2015, a big thing that people were telling us is, okay, but you, you know, the environment currently is very benign and, and what's going to happen when it's not. So it's going to be tough for many platforms, but those who make it through, I think will have a really strong argument to say, okay, we've, we've gone through this COVID higher rates, uh, and, and we, we show we can adapt. And so the, and so of, is the uh, sector going to have a long-term impact? Is going to be answered by this crisis, I hope. Um, as far as the ESG aspect, as I said, I think, especially in Europe, it's, it's not something that is optional. People are going to have to do with it, deal with it. And we have a big role to play as fintechs through all that. It doesn't end up in something that closes the door to funding for the small companies. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you guys have a huge uh, role and... Um kind of challenge <laughs> challenge opportunity you know mm -hmm. they're always linked yeah so, absolutely <laughs> um it would have been much simpler for us if we could have just gotten a solution off the shelf yeah um the fact that we had to build it ourselves means it's now a product right mm -hmm. sell. are you going to use the esg x-ray are you going to let other companies use it or are yeah, you, you know, it's, it's interesting in 2020 when covid uh, struck um demands for loans just collapsed so for a couple of months you know march april we actually were wondering if we still had a business really? uh, and a bank called us and said well we know you guys have developed a lot of tools especially to fight fraud because as an online lender you're very exposed to yeah. that and that bank all their lending was now remote because the branches were closed. Mm -hmm. And so they were thinking, okay, now we're exposed to this as well. Can we use your tools? And two months earlier, we would have said, well, no way. I mean, that's yeah. but then we said, yes. Um, and so we started selling those tools. And by the way, our lending business then rebonded, um, you know, very strongly. 2021 yeah. was our best year. Uh, and the, uh, but so we started selling those tools uh, and we package it under the name October Connect. And so now mm -hmm. we've got customers in, in France, in Italy, in Spain. Uh, we use those tools. And ESG X-Ray is, I think, by Q2 is going to be part of that um, toolbox that we offer. So it will be impacting everywhere. <laughs> yeah, potentially. Um, but for, for, for that, we need to demonstrate, we need to prove that it's doing the right job, extracting information of, of um as you said, that it's not another greenwashing tool. Here, data is really helping in doing something that's truthful, you know, fast and, and cheap to operate as well. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds great. Um, I'm sure that you'll be able to prove it. Um, what's a piece of advice you've been given that you would give to other people? Oh. <laughs> Um, I've, I've been given a lot of advice, especially from the team. You know, it's one of the things I appreciate is we, when we have, you know, discussions, I almost always has a question of, okay, if there's one thing you want to, uh, uh, to tell me. And I think it's always interesting to me that I feel like I'm talking about our vision all the time and, and how we're going to get there and that plan, but I still get the question all the time. And so for if you're, you know, leading or building company, you always have to underestimate how much people actually listened to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and you always have to just 
do it again and again and again and again. And you cannot stop until it feels like way too much to you. And, uh, and it's not something I'd thought about before. Um, naively, I thought once would be enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, my final question, which is the curveball question. It's a random question, okay. which I picked just Shoot. before I came in here. Okay. If you had six months with no obligations or financial constraints, what would you do with the time? Well, um, I would uh, probably uh, take a small plane and <laughs> tour the United States because that's one really? of my passions. And I've never flown in the United States uh, and I'd love to. It's paradise. So, uh, Are you a pilot? Yeah. Really? So wow. Life. It's a hobby we share. Oh, that'd be so nice it's then. Not very ESG, but we've, we've found ways to offset what we do there in, in a very solid uh, methodology. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a nice question. That sounds lovely. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for your time. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, Thanks for coming up. We haven't got our coffees. No, we haven't got our coffees. But I think I hear them coming. <laughs> so thank you. Oh, um, how, if someone wanted to follow you or connect, how could they get a hold yeah, of LinkedIn. you? So Patrick Donanville on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter as well. Uh, P2NVL is my handle. It's not very easy to find, but uh, yeah, LinkedIn works. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. Thanks, Emma. Pleasure. As always, you can reach out and chat to me on my personal LinkedIn or Twitter at Izzy Castro Rides. That's spelled I-Z-Y. But for access to great daily content, check out Fintech Nexus on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also sign up to our daily newsletter, bringing news straight to your inbox. And for more Fintech podcast fun, check out the website's podcast page where you can find more fascinating conversations hosted by Peter Anton and Todd Anderson. That's it from me. Until next time, enjoy your downtime. <laughs> <laughs>